0: This week, Jared Kushner, a White House senior advisor, is making what might be his last diplomatic trip to the Middle East. It's part of the Trump administration's final push to realign power in the region. There have been some major breakthroughs. Last week, the Israeli prime minister flew to Saudi Arabia to speak with the crown prince. It was the first reported meeting between top leaders of the two countries in more than a decade. But the biggest diplomatic achievement happened earlier this year, when the White House brokered a peace treaty called the Abraham Accords. Our colleague, Diane Nissenbaum, covered that treaty.
1: I flew to Washington, actually, to cover the signing of the Abraham Accords, which is, you know, a a huge deal, not just in the Middle East, but around the world. And I wanted to do a story about how it came together. And I was at a breakfast meeting with a Trump administration official talking about all the ways,
0: all the people that had been sort of key to it. And at the end of the meal, that administration official said something that caught Dion's attention. It was about an incident that helped lay the groundwork for the treaty. It
1: was actually just an offhanded remark. Oh yeah, you know, this general who was involved, he rescued this Emirati royal, you know, and then you do that double take as a journalist, you know, like, what? Wait, wait a minute, go back a second. He's he saved an Emirati royal. What are you talking about?
0: As Dion learned more, he discovered that this daring operation was pivotal in reaching the historic peace agreement. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Limbaugh. It's Thursday, December 3rd. Coming up on the show the little-known story of the general who helped broker the Abraham Accords, and how that treaty could reshape the future of the Middle East.
2: This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com journal. Terms and conditions apply.
0: The signing of the Abraham Accords was a groundbreaking moment. The United Arab Emirates and Bahrain formally recognized the state of Israel for the first time. The deal was signed at the White House in September. And one of the members of the Trump administration who helped bring the treaty across the finish line was a general named Miguel Correa.
1: General Miguel Correa is this gregarious Puerto Rican army general. He's fought in every U.S., War since the Gulf War, one way or another. He's part of uh, special forces, so he's kind of one of these elite generals in the U.S. military.
0: The story of how General Correa helped bring about the Abraham Accords starts back in 2017. Back then, Correa was working in the UAE as a defense attache for the U.S.
1: It's a low-profile role, I say. There would be no reason for anybody to know his name outside of defense circles.
0: But from the beginning of his time in the country, Correa stood out for his approach to diplomacy.
1: A lot of times, diplomats Americans, when they go overseas to places like the Gulf, they will sit inside the embassy and travel to meetings in their air-conditioned cars and go to the Starbucks in the compounds and not get off the embassy. And he didn't do that he spent hours with people sitting on pillows on the floor and smoking shisha and Having the tea, and you know, there's a lot of time spent just talking, sitting down late at night, especially in the Gulf. A lot of things don't happen until after midnight. You know, you have to invest the time to get to know people for them to trust you. And he did that here. And Emirati officials I spoke to said that he knew the intricacies of this country, he knew the tribal relations better than some Emiratis themselves.
0: And this was an especially important place for the U.S. to be building relationships.
1: The UAE punches above its weight, I would say. It's a small but influential country in the region. The crown prince is one of the most influential players in the Gulf. And what they do resonates across the region for all of the Middle East countries.
0: One night... Less than a year after he arrived in the UAE, Correa received a phone call.
1: He's at home on a Friday night in Abu Dhabi, and he gets a phone call on on what he calls the special line, the line where, you know, if somebody's calling on it, there's an uh home moment. You know, something's wrong. And he picks it up, and it's a general from U.S. Special Operations Forces saying an Emirati helicopter has crashed in Yemen— We've got to organize a rescue mission and get them out.
0: The Emirati helicopter was carrying out a mission against Al-Qaeda targets. The helicopter had been carrying 10 Emirati soldiers when it went down. Three of them were killed. The seven still alive at the crash site were seriously injured. And one of those seven was a young guy named Zayed bin Hamdan. He was the nephew of the Emirati Crown Prince. It's not clear whether Correa immediately knew that a royal was on the helicopter. But after receiving that call, he got to work.
1: From that moment on, it's his job to coordinate this rescue mission from start to finish. It's his job to make sure the mission is a success. He wakes up the Emirati chief of defense to tell him about this and to talk about how they're going to get their men out.
0: Perea was coordinating a plan to send a team of U.S. Special Operations Forces to evacuate the surviving soldiers and bring them to a military ship called the USS Bataan.
1: So they fly these Ospreys in, and these Ospreys are these unique military plane-slash-helicopters that can take off like a helicopter and fly like a plane so they can get into these difficult areas. They fly in, and they pick up seven injured soldiers. And things start to go wrong almost from the beginning. They get them on the Osprey, and one of them dies on the way out to the ship. Then they get on the ship, and, you know, these guys are in serious trouble and they need blood.
0: There wasn't enough donated blood on hand to take care of the six wounded soldiers. So members of the U.S. military on the ship lined up to donate blood in what's called a walking blood bank.
1: They ended up taking 50 to 60 pints of blood And it ends up becoming what the U.S. Navy says was the largest so-called walking blood bank since World War II.
0: But even with the blood transfusions, the Emirati soldiers weren't out of the woods yet. And so Emirati leaders had a request for Korea.
1: The Emiratis want to get their guys to a special U.S. military hospital in Lensdl, Germany, which is where America has taken its war wounded for decades. They want to get them there for special medical treatment. And that's a big ask. That's not something that the U.S. usually does for its allies. And I believe at this point, the U.S. certainly knew an Emirati royal was among them. You know, the attention and the concern coming from Abu Dhabi, from Emirati leaders, was quite intense.
0: Korea sent their request up the chain of command and got approval to send the Emirati soldiers to Germany. But that turned out to be the easy part. Korea and the team then had to figure out how to get these six wounded soldiers from the USS Bataan to the German base.
1: And they figure out the best way to get these guys to Germany is to fly them back to Yemen and then fly them from Yemen to Germany. And the Air Force, the military is quite concerned about this because this is difficult territory. You don't fly U.S. planes in there. It makes them a target.
0: The U.S. flew the wounded soldiers under the cover of darkness to an airstrip in Yemen, where another plane was waiting to take them to Germany.
1: They have to fly in a huge, massive air force c-17 which is one of these big cargo planes with the doors on the back that you often see you know in videos guys parachuting out of or dropping cargo out of and what they do is they put in a special medical unit like sort of a flying icu inside the c-17 so there's kind of one of these moments where, you know, it's like, do 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 We've got to get everything in place. And everybody's rushing to make this happen and, and get them from the ship to Yemen. And then they do manage to get them to Germany before the sun comes up.
0: In Germany, the Emirati soldiers continued to get nursed back to health. All six remaining soldiers survived.
1: There is apparently some kind of surreal moments where these Emirati officials are trying to basically hand out money to the, to the doctors. Really? Yeah. You know, they they want to thank the Americans for doing this. And so how can we thank you? Let's give you some money to pay for their care. You know, thank you so much. And, of course, the American military is like, that's not what we do. You know, these are our comrades in arms.
0: This is awkward.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> what did it do to General Correa's reputation in the UAE.
1: This makes General Correa, you know, a hero. Of course, General Correa will tell you that he wasn't single-handedly responsible for this. He was the coordinator. You know, General Mattis, the U.S. ambassador, these are all people that were involved and helped with the mission. But because General Correa is kind of the face, you know, he becomes sort of the focal point in many ways for the Emirati gratitude. And from there, the relationship just continues to deepen.
0: But that deepening relationship eventually became a problem for Correa. In 2019, he was fired.
1: The contention here was that Correa had developed what people call clientitis, which is this feeling that, you know, you're in a foreign country and you become more sympathetic to the country where you're working than American interest. And this was the concern that diplomats and former State Department people expressed to me about him, that he was becoming more sympathetic to the Emiratis than the American position.
0: Correa's career was derailed. But a Pentagon investigation cleared him of any wrongdoing. And quickly, a new job opportunity opened up.
1: He then... He gets some allies at the White House who know about his relations in the UAE. And he gets a job serving at the White House National Security Council working on Gulf affairs.
0: Coming up, how that Titus came in handy for General Correa and for the Trump administration.
2: This episode is brought to you by Vonage with Vonage Video API your developers
1: can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com.
2: This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com journal. Terms and conditions apply.
0: When General Correa started working at the White House in March, the Trump administration was at work trying to broker peace treaties in the Middle East. And the purpose of that effort was to put pressure on one of the U.S.'s biggest adversaries, Iran.
1: Iran is seen as a malign influence that you know has its tentacles everywhere from Lebanon to Iraq. And the U.S. and the Trump administration had spent a lot of time convincing partners— in the Gulf to take a stronger stand against Iran.
0: The goal here was to create a united front against Iran. But for a long time, that had been really hard to do because there had been a diplomatic standoff between other players in the region. The main
1: sticking point is the Palestinian cause here. And so since Israel was founded in 1948, The Arab world has stood on the principle that they will not establish diplomatic relations with Israel until Israel agrees to allow the creation of a Palestinian state alongside Israel. And that's been the major sticking point in the Middle East for decades.
0: But around the time that the U.S. began working on a peace deal, that solidarity between Arab countries and Palestinians was shifting
1: the Palestinians are fractured. They're divided between themselves uh, and they've never been able to advance their own interests and they've relied on the Arab world to stand with them. And it's kind of gotten to the point that these countries are like, you know what, we want to help the Palestinians, but we also want to you know, continue our own economic development and we can't just keep waiting for decades for this issue to be resolved
0: some Arab countries had been quietly starting to develop relations with Israel. The U.S. wanted to build on that momentum to try and unite the region against Iran. So U.S. officials turned to a key ally to see if it would strike a peace treaty with Israel. That key ally was the UAE. And that's where Korea came in.
1: Korea's so-called clientitis sort of comes into play here a little bit. And in July of this year, he... Flies to Abu Dhabi at a critical moment to sit down with the crown prince and he meets the crown prince and they go to the palace.
0: But before they sat down to iron out details of the treaty, the crown prince wanted Korea to meet a special guest. His nephew, that Emirati royal Korea helped save back in 2017.
1: In comes the young Emirati royal Zayd bin Hamdan in his wheelchair to meet him for the first time. And so, if you were wondering about the importance of that rescue mission three years ago, here it is. You know, the crown prince brings his nephew to the meeting.
0: And then Correa and the crown prince got to work.
1: Korea is one of these people that the Emiratis know they can trust. And when he comes and says, look, this is good for you, it's good for us, it's good for the region, it's good for Israel, we'll make sure that these terms are honored and you'll get the things that you're asking for, that they believe him and they trust him. And that's important. That's the, the important thing here is that General Korea, they knew he'd gone to the line for the crown prince. He'd saved this young man's life years before. You know, they they had built a reservoir of trust that they could now tap into and take that leap of faith here on this peace deal.
0: A few weeks later, the Trump administration announced that the UAE and Israel would forge a peace treaty. Both sides had made concessions. Israel said it would put a pause on annexing the West Bank, an important region for Palestinian leaders and the UAE would recognize Israel as a country for the first time. Not long after, another Arab nation, Bahrain, also signed on. Leaders from the three countries met on the White House lawn in September to sign the treaty.
2: Ladies and gentlemen...
0: Korea wasn't the formally States. recognized from the podium that day, but he still got a quiet acknowledgement.
1: So on the day that the... Peace deal is signed at the White House. So all of the delegations are showing up. Everybody's there celebrating. And the Emirati foreign minister points to General Correa and stops everybody and says, I just want you to know, you know, Mr. President, that man is family to us. This would not have happened without him. And, you know, all of these officials, the vice president and the president are kind of like, whoa, you know, not, not quite realizing how important General Correa's role with the UAE was in helping them take that leap of faith to sign this deal.
0: So how important is this peace treaty?
1: It breaks this logjam for Israel and the Arab world and opens up the door for other countries to eventually normalize relations with Israel. And that's a game changer for the region. And it does help isolate Iran. The downside of this is the fact that the Palestinians, in a lot of ways, are screwed, if I could say that. (laughs) Um, You know, they're losing their allies and, you know, the hopes for the Palestinians having their own
0: state kind of dim every day. Since the deal was struck, relations in the region have continued to thaw. Sudan and Israel have agreed to a peace treaty, and Saudi Arabia also sat down with Israel in that historic meeting last week.
1: This was the first public meeting between an Israeli leader and a Saudi leader. And Saudi Arabia is the big fish in all of this. If Saudi Arabia normalizes relations with Israel, then everybody else can come forward.
0: What came of that meeting between Saudi Arabia and Israel? So nothing
1: tangible came out of that meeting. Uh, You know, Saudi Arabia is not really ready to take that step yet. U.S. officials and Gulf officials tell me that Saudi Arabia is inching up towards normalizing relations with Israel, but they need to figure out how best to maximize this to their advantage in Washington, with a new administration coming in.
0: President-elect Joe Biden has taken a harsher stance toward Saudi Arabia, but he has said he favors more deals between Israel and other Arab nations. So that agreement with the UAE, which in some ways started with Korea's rescue mission, could pave the way for future negotiations in the region. What does it say that this daring rescue and General Correa were so crucial to this deal coming together?
1: I think it shows, you know, the importance of personal relationships, you know, being the key player that can be a little bit of the secret sauce that brings the deal together, doing the little things that we don't see, even as journalists at the time, happening behind the scenes that eventually lead to something transformative.
0: That's all for today, Thursday, December 3rd. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. If you like the show, follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We come out every weekday afternoon. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.